And I hope Al's joining us now. It is five minutes past 10 o'clock. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. And I listen to um, Ms. Lona and Jazz, too. So enjoy Lona. I should mention, yesterday was my wife, uh, Gail, was her birthday, and also uh, good buddy Tim Scott. So they share a birthday. So Happy was, birthday, uh, both of them. Yeah, Gail got a truck filled with candy. Not a full-size <laughs> truck, but uh, the grandchildren went together and got her a, a truck filled with, you know, I'm a non-chocolate eater, so they, they're they all chocolate to make sure I wouldn't eat any of them. So, but there's a, a bundle with it. It's a candy bar bouquet, I guess is what it's called. So, Are you going to play with the, is she going to play with the truck afterwards too? I'm sure she will, you know, down on the floor. And uh, I, I remember doing that as a kid on the linoleum, and we're not such linoleum folks anymore. And uh, growing up, that was pretty much our whole house was covered in linoleum. I'm surprised we didn't put a roof of <laughs> linoleum on. But, it's, uh, you know, the thingamajig with the doohickey connected to the whatchamacallit, it, it brought some good news the other day. The Eastern North American Monarch Population Estimate for the winter of 2018-19 has a population size of about 15 acres. And I know 15 acres, uh, a lot of folks should think, oh, what, what is 15 acres? I, I mean, we know it's an acre of land, but what... It's, if I'm remembering correctly, it's 1.32 football fields. So most people are kind of familiar with that. But it's 15 acres, and this is the largest monarch population since 2007. So remember when everybody was saying, I'm seeing more monarchs this year than I can ever remember seeing. Well, they were right as long as their memory stopped around 2007, because it was about the same then. But last year was certainly a, a great bump since the year before, 144% over last year. And it's just, uh, you know, it's people People are making a difference. Uh, there's other things that certainly come into play, but people are making a difference. That still They're doesn't, creating, I was going to say, that still doesn't sound like a lot, though. 15 acres really in the whole scheme of things isn't very much, but I'm glad to hear that it's larger than it used to be. Yeah, well, with Stuart Smalley, the baby steps. He was always talking, we need baby steps. So it's, uh, Al, I think that was the name of the character Al Franken played. But Richard it, Smalley. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is making a difference, and uh, folks are making a difference. They're creating habitat. They're educating one another, telling everybody, you know, that there is a problem with monarchs and what you can do to help. So I appreciate everybody that does that. I, uh, I leaned into the, the wind the other morning, Oh, the wind is, I'm a walker, and that is the, if I have a bane of my existence, it's wind. I just, it's always in my face, it seems, no matter which way I walk, it changes. It's like that smoke around the fire. And I looked, I leaned into the wind, and the wind leaned back, but there was a canvas of fresh snow, and it showed the marks made by small travelers making their way to uh, here and there. And I'm glad their tracks uh, 
shared their tracks with mine and uh, it just I look on with such wonder when I see them and I wish I could see them in the, during the night and see what they're up to. I have a couple raccoons that are in my yard now and coming out and just making oh they they make so much noise uh, they're just out there uh, doing raccoon things and yesterday again there were rainbow colored sun dogs in the sky and they're caused by the diffraction of light ice crystals and i checked with heartland harry who's our local ground dog and he woke up a bit cranky and he told me he had no idea when winter would end and if he did he certainly wouldn't tell me so he differs a little bit from Punxsutawney Phil. If Phil sees his shadow, Phil says, we'll have six more weeks of winter. Well, Harry is from Minnesota. He'd say we'll have only six more weeks of winter. I uh, drove down the highway yesterday uh, off to visit my good friends at the clinic, and I... It was, oh, it was really, really icy. We got all that rain, and the, the highways were just kind of like hockey rinks. But I glanced off to the side, and there were raptors. Red-tailed hawks patrolled the highway margins. So when snow and ice covers much of raptors' hunting grounds, the highways allow a prime place to pursue prey like voles. And I drove in the vicinity of Albert Lee High School, home of the Fighting Tigers. And there were cars were kind of moving slow there in both lanes. And I, I quickly discovered why. There was a wild turkey standing nonchalantly in the middle of the road as cars went by both sides of the big bird. It was obviously a turkey with street smarts, but it was like one of those school guards that are out there. I looked for that flag that they put down. It was just standing there. It was preening a little bit. It was just like ho-hum. So uh, people were stopping, and I saw cell phones come out, and folks were taking pictures of this turkey standing. Uh, turkeys and birds are so important. I watch a good number of high school athletic events uh, all around, but the majority of them involve teams from the Big South Conference. There are 13 teams in that league, and six of them are nicknamed after birds. Uh, New Ulm and Wyndham are the Eagles. Fairmont, Laverne, and Redwood Valley are the Cardinals, and Wasika they are the Blue Jays. I tell, I'm probably like you, Karen. I tell myself that winter is on my side. It's on my <laughs> side. It's like that one cousin when you're growing up. He loved you. He was on your side, but he could be ornery at times. And that's kind of like winter. And it was a little cold yesterday, but at least I don't have to shovel the cold. And this time of year, I turn to the birds, the sunflowers turn to the sun, and I endeavor to notice things. Uh, noticing things, Kevin Johnson, who lives in Nicollet County, said the horn larks along the road, and boy, there are a lot of them right now. These are uh, brown on top and white underneath, and they're along our roadsides, and they uh, sometimes have that terrible, uh, I don't know if it's a habit, but a terrible action of flying across the road. Uh, Ken Nelson, who lives in uh, rural route Clark's Grove, he said he had a bald eagle in his yard. So he just sees them around, but not in his yard. Yeah, I mean, I had one, too. I had, there's one by me here that apparently has found a roadkill deer somewhere, so it's feeding on venison. 
and we'll fly into the yard here once in a while. He's not up to anything. He just kind of perches there because everybody has to be somewhere, and he has picked my yard as somewhere where he's going to be. Uh, Susan Schumacher saw a varied thrush in Olmstead County. Dave Bartke, David is from Faribault, and he saw a Carolina wren and a hermit thrush in Rice County. I had a, a number of people report hundreds of American robins in Lassur. Sharon Fishstrom said, why are there so many robins still hanging around? I wouldn't quite call it a flock, but I see several every day in the trees around my house. So far, haven't seen one at the feeders, but don't always have an eye on the feeders. They will come to the feeders on occasion, Sharon, to maybe eat suet, or if you put out some uh, bits of fruit that you chop up. And they will also, I have found uh, found out last year, they ate hulled sunflower seeds. So they wouldn't eat them with the shell still on, but you get the kind that are hulled, they would eat them. And why are they still hanging around? Well, they're just here. They're here most years, and they eat fruit. Some years we certainly see more than others. So they're nomadic, so they will move about. They like riparian areas, and they're just, you know, they're there because they like you, Sharon. That's why they're around, and um, I just, uh, I'm, I'm happy to see them. I always kind of feel sorry for them because they, they fluff up and get that kind of look of uh, misery, but uh, they seem to be doing okay. Uh, Diedrich Benz. So a pine warbler in Olmstead County, a pine warbler. These are the little spring birds that come in May, and he saw one in Olmstead County, and uh, I hope it makes it. Boy, it has to be tough in this cold weather, and uh, what stories it would have to tell. Andrew Nyhus saw a northern shoveler, ringneck duck, lesser scop, bufflehead, hooded merganser, American coot, and tundra swan in Scott County. And when I um, got the thing from him, it had, it had changed lesser scop, uh, autocorrect, had changed lesser scalp, scalp to lesser scalp. So I was thinking like a bald-headed duck out there of some kind. But, uh, Brad Abendroth saw a Eurasian-collared dove and an American black duck in Scott County. Uh, both beautiful birds to see there. And Matt Webb. Matt is down in Glenville, and I am on a, a fire committee board. Uh, and uh, Matt is the one that chairs that board, does a wonderful job. And he called this morning, and he said, why am I seeing an American white pelican still around here? You know, we had seven of them in Matt's area on the Christmas bird count, and they can fly. I have a friend that goes out and sits on a five-gallon pail every day. After work, he goes down to the lake where he's got a hole in the ice. He sits on that five-gallon pail no matter how miserable the weather is, and he fishes. And it, he said it takes his mind off work. And then he goes home and uh, eats with his family, but he needs that little time, an hour or so, where he sits on that five-gallon pail. And I said, why don't you get a fish house? You know, they, a lot of them, you've probably noticed them on the lake. And he said, they are for wimps. <laughs> so he sits on that five-gallon pail, and why does he do it? You know, he, he likes fishing. 
and uh, he's been catching fish, so he keeps doing it. And I guess maybe that's why the American white pelicans were hanging around. First off, you think, well, they must be sick or injured, but that's uh, it's apparently not the case. I guess the fishing is really good, so they're going to hang around here. I mentioned uh, the birds uh, a couple times through the years about how many teams are nicknamed for birds, and I mentioned a little bit uh, from the Big South Conference this morning, and got a uh, text from somebody saying, are there any athletic teams nicknamed for plants? Oh, good point. Yeah, and as you might guess, of course there are, because there's there's one called the banana slugs. You're kidding, right? uh, there's not really. No, there, there's really been. There is. Oh my gosh. Yep, a, a college in <laughs> California, and uh, there's a high school in Michigan. I remember where the winners meet, uh, Nimrods. Oh my. And uh, you know, in the Bible, Nimrod was a mighty hunter, but his name has kind of suffered since <laughs> then. So now, when you call someone Nimrod, you're typically not saying you are a mighty hunter. You're just saying you're kind of an idiot, is what you are. <laughs> But there are some. The one I think of right off the bat is just down the road from me. It's the Blooming Prairie Awesome Blossoms. Hmm. And uh, when I think of anything named after a plant, that's the first thing that just comes screaming. But there's other ones. Uh, Some of these would be named after. This list is by no means inclusive, and some are named for parts of plants. But the Ohio State Buckeyes the Toronto Maple Leafs, Mm -hmm. the Moorhead Spuds, the (laughs) Indiana State Sycamores, that's where Larry Bird played basketball, the Roses, which is an English rugby team, uh, Scottsdale Community College Fighting Artichokes, uh, Delta State, which is in Mississippi, a college there, they're the Fighting Okra, and the Kansas, (laughs) er, no, the Cedar Rapids Colonels, it's a minor league baseball team, and there used to be another minor league baseball squad in California, and they were named the Vesalia Oaks, but they changed their name to Rawhide for some reason. And I'm sure there are more plant-based nicknames that some of you are probably thinking of right now, but those were the ones that I could think of and, and text back to that kind person in fairly rapid order without too many misspellings i hope it's really hard to picture a fierce okra isn't it i'm trying to pick you know a lot of times when you have sports teams you want to think of something fierce you know competitive but when i think of okra and some of those names you mentioned it just doesn't make me think of that sadly you think of uh, (laughs) kind of slimy exactly gumbo they're kind of a slimy team so watch them they're just yeah and I, and I like okra, and deep fried is one of the best things to eat, but it's just, uh, I've probably mentioned this before, I used to raise it in my garden, and uh, I love the garden, and I thought, oh man, okra, well, we tried it, and we put it in every stew and soup and everything, but it was so uh, productive that sooner or later you end up uh, deep frying them in a wonderful batter which isn't the way that you typically there isn't a reason why you typically have a garden so you can eat deep fried food but <laughs> oh is it good i just man ochre is so good deep fried and but uh, we stopped raising it because we just thought well it's too easy to get 
fried foods in your life without raising them yourself and making them. So it's, uh, yeah, the the fighting okras. It's, just, <laughs> it's the fighting okra, not the okras even. So it, it's, yeah, maybe they're real good. I don't know. It's just like the fighting artichokes, too. You think, boy, I don't know how good a name that is, but they're they're probably very, very good teams because the name certainly does not define a team. I, uh, somebody called me the other day and they said, uh, there's a dandelion in my yard. Yeah, well, they're, yeah. you know, dandelions develop these taproots that can extend 15 feet deep in ideal conditions. So there's, they're, they're just there. They're, they're a lot tougher than we are as anybody who has a lawn and tried to rid themselves of uh, dandelions. They're just, man, they're tough. There should be a, athletic team called the dandelions uh, they would be they would be persistent they would be tough they just never give up so you, if you're going to play the dandelions you would know you were in for a battle tom brady might back down to a team called the dandelions <laughs> so there's no way i can win against the dandelions so it's uh, they are out there when the snow disappears a little bit and if you get down and search around, sometimes you, know, you you won't find the flower, but you find the plant typically. And they are uh, it's in the spring. I like the dandelions because we have bees, and if you have honeybees, you want them to find some food plants. Dandelions provide those, so their uh, bees are big fans of those. So I'm always happy to hear about a dandelion. And my grandma used to make dandelion greens, and we would eat them. And the best one she made was she'd make dead lettuce with wilted lettuce, and she'd put some dandelion greens in there, and then she'd pour uh, bacon grease over them. Was, so, were yeah. dandelion greens, are they a little bitter? I've never really tried them other than pulling them out of my grass. But, I mean, do, do they have a bitter taste? Or they taste just like lettuce? And they don't taste like lettuce. I, I think they have more taste than lettuce. I like them in the spring of the year. You know, you certainly want to go where nobody has sprayed anything. And before they flower, because once they flower, then they become bitter. And I like them. And uh, it was kind of a health food uh, for us, you know, in those days, salad, lettuce, and dandelion until Grandma put the bacon grease all over the top <laughs> and kind of did away with that. But it was the dead lettuce, uh, she called it. And I, Gail and I would still eat dandelions on lettuce early in the year because it adds a bit of taste. At least uh, I know everybody's taste buds work differently. But to me, it's a a wonderful thing to add to a salad and it is good for us there's so many wonderful things in a dandelion that it uh, it makes sense just to eat them and i i appreciate i know a lot of folks will make um, another kind of health food out of them dandelion wine and uh, and it's probably good for you too probably has some wonderful vitamins and minerals and things in there but I'm going to stick to the lettuce, I think. I, I think you can make wine out of cardboard as far as that goes. <laughs> it seems like they, when uh, I was in college, one of my roommates, his, oh, it was controlled data back in those days, and he worked there, had a good job there, so he needed to 
take a little stress off, so he began making wine, and he had this wonderful wine cellar, which was his entire basement, pretty much, and he'd have corn wine and rhubarb wine, and he'd just make wine out of everything, so uh, I, I, I think we could make it out of cardboard if we wanted to. Oh, I see a little chickadee just flying to my feeder here, and he's on one of those diets in which he eats only one thing, and that's more, and he... Uh, he well, now he's flown to a little uh, arborvitae here that has been stripped of some of his branches, and he's fluffed up for warmth. So on cold days, uh, being fluffy is a good thing to be. And I know when I drive around campus, I either see people wearing shorts and uh, just a, maybe a hoodie or something, or I see folks park it up like they're an Arctic explorer. And uh, I, I would tend to go with the Arctic Explorer look because, again, uh, fluffy is a good look this time of year, and we don't have feathers to fluff up, so it, it's nice having those parkas and nice boots. And um, I, I know I've mentioned this probably last week. I like keeping my feet warm. If my feet are warm, man, I can take a, a lot of cold. But if my feet get cold, then I'm... A, I got to find some place to warm up or stamp my feet or run a little bit, and I, I'm finally able to run a little bit. It was a long, uh, long break uh, for uh, spending time with Mayo Clinic. Just kind of eliminated my running, and finally able to do a little bit of that where I can find places where there isn't a lot of ice. Uh, I'd be better served just doing it indoors, but to being a dumb guy, I, I just figure I can be out there. Hey, Al, I've got a question about, you know, when we had that really, really cold last week, it was so cold, and you really didn't see any birds or things around, but I noticed after it warmed up the net, you know, the day after the super, super cold, 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 all of a sudden, it was it was almost as if the, the curtain had raised and all the birds were out. Were they all just hiding in the, the branches somewhere under bushes or someplace? Because just after that cold, cold, cold snap, everybody was out in the yard including the squirrels the birds and it was just so busy after the cold snap kind of let up and they are like us when we shop at our favorite grocery store so before the real bad weather hits boy the feeders will be busy they're stocking up and a lot of uh, our little birds like nuthatches and chickadees they will cache food squirrels just try to eat as much as they possibly can and then go have a nap and then they weather the storm, just as you say. They have this place where they go to to just wait out a storm. Then when the storm's over, well, then it's just like us. We got all this stuff. We got enough food. It should last us two weeks. Well, and the storm comes, and we eat it all. So then we got to go back to the grocery store, uh, not only to get more food, but to show everybody how good we are that we can still get out even in the bad weather and just show up and let everybody know that we're all right and see other folks and say boy you made it that's kind of birds they come in again now they're hungry and they fly into the feeders so they are pretty good uh, at reporting or forecasting the weather they can predict to have their own little barometers and they can predict when really bad weather is coming. And when the weather gets nice, then we don't see so many around the feeders because they got other places to go. <laughs> they might like to move about a little bit, do some bird traveling. 
go see what the neighbors have. And when the weather's nice, they, they're allowed to do that. When the weather is bad, they're again like us. They hunker down and spend time at home. They don't have Netflix or anything like that, but they're they're home, and their job is just to survive until tomorrow. Uh, birds and things certainly live in the present, and that's what they have to deal with is just getting from from today until tomorrow. So it, yeah, you're uh, you were had it exactly right because they uh, they need to get a lot of food. They need to eat as much as they can. Just got to. A text from somebody said, how many snowy owls does the Raptor Center at the University of Minnesota care for each year? And I've not seen a snowy owl this year. Uh, most years I I see quite a few of them here and there, but this year, zip, hmm. and not a whole lot of reports. But the Raptor Center treats around, this is up at the University of Minnesota, they treat around 1,000 sick and injured raptors each year. And I know they had 40 snowy owls, about 40 snowy owls, as patients during one exceptional year. But I would guess the average is, you know, five or less snowy owls find their way to the Raptor Center on an average year. Uh, they, uh, I, I hope to see a couple. I, I know there's been a, a several seen around the, the state, but not a whole lot. Well, I hope everyone will come to the cafe where the food chain is missing a few links. A special is always a Heimlich maneuver, and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders, where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. We were having a discussion the other day talking about comfort food. When my mom... Uh, was in the hospital or somewhere, she wanted donuts. I'd bring her a donut every day I'd visit. You know, you have to get approval and all that. But that's what she wanted was a donut, just a regular cake donut. And to her, that was comfort food. But for the rest of us, what is comfort food? I know. Years ago, when I was a teenager, I'm driving along, coming back from work at Bird's Eye in Waseca, Minnesota, And I came across an old brown Ford. It was a stalled car. And I knew the driver. He was a good guy, great baseball player. I remember watching him when I was much smaller than that. So I offered him a ride home, and he accepted my offer, but only on the condition that he could buy me supper. Well, I was a teenager. I was happy to eat any time. So I gladly accepted, and we stopped at a local supper club, the Fox in in New Richland, Minnesota. Well, this guy I'd picked up, good guy, but he'd been um, he'd been overserved at a bar somewhere, and he was a nice fellow, but he he'd been drinking, and he had a couple of snorts before the food arrived, and then he did something I didn't expect him to do. He fell asleep in his mashed <laughs> potatoes and gravy. The mashed potatoes and gravy provided warmth and comfort (laughs) that he likely wouldn't have found in a lettuce and dandelion salad. So mashed potatoes and gravy, a comfort food, particularly this time of year. Remember, folks, Heartland is while we're driving past. Uh, Thanks for listening. I appreciate you, but uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your exquisite company. Al, it's always great to have you on, and uh, 
buckle down and get all the toilet paper and everything you can. There's going to be some snow. That's <laughs> you right. Better Let's get out there. Don't have to worry about toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, right. They they don't have to, but 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 we do. So uh, we'll we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Karen. All bye-bye. right. Bye bye.